Psalm 77. For the director of music, for Judithum, of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit felt, grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show us his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We're going to pray and then uh, we'll work through this Psalm 77 together. So let's bow before our Lord in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time we share together now and we pray that as we think about psalm 77 uh, we would understand it a bit more and feel the weight of it and we pray that you'd help us uh, to apply these things to jesus and see how they relate then to our lives as well uh, we pray for these things in his name amen well as i uh, started the introduction to this sermon this morning uh, you can see it in your bulletin outline it says introduction storms Right on cue, a storm started to form. It was quite providential. Now, we're all familiar with a good storm, aren't we? Those times when we can hear the uh, booming claps of thunder that shake the whole house. Or when we look out and see lightning at night time and it lights up the sky from the east to the west. And depending on where you're standing, sometimes it can also start cracking down and hitting the houses around you or the trees that's a pretty good storm a good storm's often accompanied by large drops of driving flood rain which as we see it come down in sheets it leaves us just feeling grateful that we're not camping at the local caravan park or on a camping trip somewhere where there's been a tent that's had a pole stabbed through the inside of it uh, with that storm, flood, rain coming down. Peter Chapman, do you know any stories like that? With water coming down in the middle of the night and people bailing out of the tent thinking they're going to go to the next one. 
Storms can be inconvenient, can't they? At times they can be frightening if the lightning's bouncing around and you're nearby. They can be even deadly. Well, thunderstorms come and go, don't they? And so do the storms of life. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. But I've heard it said that in life, we're either going into a storm or we're coming out of one. You like that? That's all that there is to life. You're either going into the storm, you're in the middle of the storm, or you're on your way out. I don't know about you, but personally, I prefer the, the coming out of the storm experience a lot more. Uh, going into the storm doesn't really, you know, it makes me feel a bit um, like wetting my pants some of the time. But uh, suffice to say, it's good to come out of a storm rather than go into one. Now, as we read the, the psalm today, did you notice the psalmist was giving the impression that his life was in the middle of a storm? Either way, it looked like life was hard for him. And we can see that by the way he's actually seeking God's help. That's the first point in the outline there. He's seeking God's help. I'll read verses 1 to 3. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused and my spirit grew faint. So the tone here is anguished. It's a bit pained. He's crying out to God for help. He's distressed and in that distress, he's seeking the Lord. This is a picture of somebody who, what we might say, is at their wit's end, aren't they? Life's gone all topsy-turvy, and they're disoriented. In that experience, they come to God for help. In verse 2, at night I stretched out my untiring hands, probably refers to continued prayer into the night. And we might remember those times when we were anxious and we do spend time praying. The second clause of verse 2, my soul refused to be comforted, is an interesting uh, set of words because is he saying that he's not going to be content or accept things until God sorts things out? Or is he saying, I wanted my soul to be comforted, but it, it just wouldn't happen? You know, I, I had anxiety upon anxiety and I couldn't stop, uh, I couldn't be comforted in that time. In verse 3, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned, I mused, and my spirit grew faint. It seems to be painful for him to recall God at this time. He thinks about God and he starts to groan. He feels faint. He doesn't feel good when he thinks about God. And I wonder why. What's the problem? Why doesn't he feel good when he remembers God? Well, I'm going to leave that to a side for a moment. I'm going to come back to that point. So I'll leave you hanging, as they say. Suffice to say, this situation looks bad. Words like help, distress and groaning remind us of bad times, not the good times. Can you relate to those times? Well, of course you can, and so can I. We live in a fallen world where sometimes there are many strains, many challenges, and things can be very difficult. Things that we can't just dodge, even if we want to. We can't dodge some trouble. In fact, it doesn't matter who you are, even some of the, the very uh, leaders of society are affected by challenges in a fallen world. And I want to give you a story of one of those now to keep you engaged in thinking about hard times at our, our level and even at the, the level of those who 
sometimes run society. This is what the experience of uh, the former United States Secretary of the Treasury, his name's Timothy Geithner, uh, he was faced with the depths of the global financial crisis and it was his job to help sort it out along with Ben Bernanke and a few others. And he also reflects on God's word as he talks a bit about his experience. He says, one afternoon that summer of 2008, I tried to lighten up the mood at the New York Federal Reserve with an impromptu contest for the best metaphor for what was happening to the financial system. I've heard it the wheels are coming off the bus, I said. We've talked about the engines falling off the plane. The usual suspects were wildfires and earthquakes, 100-year storms and 100-year floods. We also discussed cancer, contagion, sweaters unravelling and boulders rolling down a hill. I relayed one I'd first heard from Goldman and Sachs, Chief Executive Officer. The rivets are coming off the submarine. But he went on to say, there was nothing fun about that summer. I felt like I was watching a disaster unfold in slow motion with no ability to prevent it and weak tools to limit the damage. The flood had already breached the levees and all we could do was pile on more sandbags. Throughout the crises, I often thought about the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It helped me to focus on what we could do rather than obsess about what was beyond our powers. The summer of 2008 did not feel like a time for serenity about the things we could not change and I was not serene. I remember in August when I was driving home after visiting my parents, I pulled off down an exit on the road to finish a phone call to a friend about the perilous state of the financial system. I don't remember the conversation itself. It's lost in the fog of war. But whenever I drive past that exit, I get a wave of the same crushing fear and nausea I felt that summer. That's from... Uh, a book by Timothy Geithner called Stress Test. And that feeling that he, he reflects there, that crushing fear and nausea, uh, reflects that even, even those who are competent and can handle a lot, they even experience great difficulties in a fallen world. And we can relate to some of that sometimes too because there are times when we will feel threats are enormous and we'll feel scared and frightened. And there's times when you might even start to feel sick from those threats. It might not be a time in life right now, but sometimes in life we can be at our wit's end as well. And so what's our reaction going to be in those times? Well, we can praise God during the good times, but it's the right thing to do to come to God and pray even in the hard times. The psalmist gives the right approach. He doesn't give up on God. He, he comes to God and remembers his place before the Lord as one of God's creatures, and remembers God as his creator, as he looks for comfort in life. But let's come back now briefly to that question that was raised in verse 3. He says, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned, I mused, and my spirit grew faint. Why does he groan when he remembers God? 
Well, I wonder if he's starting to feel perhaps distant from God. That seems to maybe come out in some of these questions that he asks in the next few verses, 4 through to 9. If you'll read with me, I'll begin at verse 4. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Here we see the psalmist is curious. In verse 4, it looks like he's, he's unable to sleep. And he's probably feeling overwhelmed. In verse 5, he thinks of songs. They might be other psalms. And in verse 6, he ponders what God is doing. We can see that from the questions he asks. He feels rejected, abandoned, away from God. And I'm wondering if that's why he starts to groan when he thinks of God. He, he might feel distant from God. Now, feeling distant from God's an interesting topic. Uh, for on the one hand, as Christians, we know that we've been brought very close to God. That's one of the wonderful things about what God's done for us in Christ. He's brought us near. Through the death and resurrection, we enjoy forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins. We know that we stand in God's grace. In fact, Paul underscores this point when he writes to the church at Ephesus. He writes to some people who weren't from a Jewish background, they're, they're Gentiles, and he says, speaking about their life before they became Christian, he, he says, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. He's saying that's how you were. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what Paul's saying is that those who are in Christ have been brought near to God, very near. So near, in fact, that God takes up residence in our lives through his Holy Spirit. So at one level, if we're in Christ, uh, we need to remember our high place as his people, members of his family, brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We don't need to feel distant from God. That's the first thing to say. But secondly, it is true that there are times when we do sin against God. And so, of course, we need to maintain our relationship with God and we need to repent from our sin. And there's many warnings throughout the Bible and in the New Testament in particular that, that warn us against living in sin without repentance. And perhaps it's those times when we, we haven't kept short accounts with God that we may feel more distant from God. I'll give you an example. The Apostle Peter, he denied the Lord three times. And then when he heard the rooster crow, he remembered that Jesus told him that that's what he would do. And we're told that he broke down and wept. He might have felt distant from God at that time. But he was repentant, unlike Judas. In John chapter 21, we find that Peter, having been repentant, is restored once again in fellowship with Jesus. Now, the, the Westminster Confession's um, a fairly comprehensive um, you know, piece of literature to read, but that's actually got some good things in it. And it actually deals with God's providence for his people. And in chapter 5, 
it starts to engage with this, this very uh, notion that sometimes there might be seasons when we can feel distant from God. This is what the confession says in chapter 5. The most wise, righteous and gracious God does oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. I'll give you Peter Charles's summary version. Uh, God may, for a season, leave his children to different temptations so they might discover some of the darkness of their hearts, the deceitfulness and the corruption of their own hearts in order that they might be humbled. That's what he's saying. And after they're humbled, raised once again to a more close and constant dependence for their support on God. To, to be those who've learnt that, yes, they are sinful and they need to really trust in God. And to make them more watchful against future sin, realising that, yes, there, there is a way to blunder in sin in life. And we've got to learn from that. Learn not to make those decisions where... Uh, sin is joyful for a time. We need, to, we need to turn from that and be watchful that we don't sin against God. And so the encouragement for this is that uh, if we get humbled, uh, we need to be those who keep repenting for our sin and keep walking with the Lord. So if we're feeling far from the Lord, there's a couple of things we've got to remember. We've got to remember on the, on the one hand, our status in Christ is that we have been brought near to God. We do enjoy standing in his grace as his children. But secondly, it's worth reflecting a bit on our walk with the Lord at times, isn't it? It's good to ask the question, is there some sin that I need to repent of? Is that why I might feel a bit distant from God? And if there's not, well, that's good. But going through that exercise is a, is a worthwhile thing to do anyway. And for the record, it may be that there is no sin that we're experiencing hardship from. It might be just the character of life in a fallen world. And we know that from the story of Job, that Job suffers, but he has no idea why he's suffering. The, the reader does. You can see there's uh, some more to, that meets the eye. But Job doesn't understand why he's suffering. And so as Christians, if we suffer at times, it might not be to do with sin. It's good to ask if there is. Uh, but if it's not, we've just got to accept that sometimes there's mystery in suffering in a fallen world. The psalmist in his state of anguish again gets curious and there seems to be a turning point here in the psalm from despair to possibilities as he remembers God's work in the past. And I'm up to point three in this, in this outline. From verses 10 to 15 we read, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? 
You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Did you notice that there's no instant relief yet for the psalmist? There's no windfall of a Oslotto truck for him to land in and squash the money down on. There's no free trip to Alaska with all expenses paid. Instead, he doesn't get any real instant relief right now in life, but he's content to think about the character of God and God's power displayed in the past, and it becomes an encouragement to him. He remembers that God is holy, great. God's able to work miracles in the past and redeem his people. And so the psalm moves to a greater sense of hope, and, and he draws encouragement from God's character and work in the past. Now, as Christians, uh, we can recall God's character and his power in the Old Covenant, but also in the New Covenant. We can see that God's work in Christ was powerful. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. The wonderful news is, in the gospel, Jesus is Lord and he brings us salvation from sin. That is powerful stuff. And furthermore, God's been at work powerfully in our lives as well. We can read how the work of God to enlighten us, to, to actually bring us, bring us from spiritual death into spiritual life, is actually compared to God's power in raising Jesus from the dead. That's what uh, Paul compares it to in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that power is like the power that God works when he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if God's worked powerfully through the gospel to, to save, that's the grounds of salvation, what Jesus has done, and God's worked powerfully in our lives to change us, to be those who trust in Jesus, there is some encouragement for us to realise that God works powerfully. And just as a side point here too, there's, a, there's some good encouragement for us to remember to share the gospel where we've got opportunity because if God can change our hearts and lives, he can change the hearts and lives of other people as well, and he does so. Uh, it, it's wonderful to see. And so we, we don't always know which lives God's going to change, but there's an encouragement for us to keep on you know, chucking the seed, as it were, and, and letting God give the growth. The psalmist remembers God's work in the past, God's powerful work, and it's an encouragement to him, and it should be an encouragement to us as well. We are blessed in Christ, even as we live out our years with the challenges and the distress of living in a fallen world. Well, finally, the psalmist remembers the exodus from Egypt as an example of God's might. Let me read out verses 16 through to 20. The waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you and writhed. Oh, they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. This is probably the lightning. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Well, this picture language brings to mind the might of God over nature. He's the one who 
uh, even he's in authority over the storms. And the passing through the Red Sea is recalled. It also reminds us of God's willingness to lead his people uh, to the promised land. Now, we're not being led to any land in Palestine. We're not, I'm not planning to take a plane flight to Jerusalem and see where Donald Trump's made it, Jerusalem's capital and things like that. We're, we're not interested in that, friends. We're interested in a, a heavenly promised land where the Lord's leading us as his people. But perhaps this way of closing the psalm is an encouragement to the possibilities that God can achieve in our lives. And I say that because when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they found themselves hemmed in by the Red Sea, they were terrified at that time. It was frightening for them. And I think it was probably unthinkable for them to realize that God would open up the sea and they'd walk through. This, this is a way of ending the psalm with possibilities that come from God. And I think if you look back through your own life, okay, maybe there's troubles now, but maybe there's some uh, things that you're grateful for as well. Maybe there's some possibilities that have opened up for you in your life that God's, God's done and you didn't think that would happen either. Even in the midst of the challenges, this psalm reminds us that God is very capable to run his universe. He's acted powerfully in the past and he's acted gracefully to his people. And so there's good reason for us to be encouraged as we look back at God's character and his power as well. Which brings me to the conclusion as we think about weathering the storms of life. Storms come and go in life, don't they? They, they come and go in nature and they come and go in life. Whether we're entering one or in the midst of one, it's good for us to be those people who remember our place as God's creatures and to cry out to God for help. That's still the right response. We don't just abandon God and give up. We, we trust God to, to help us to get through. Like the psalmist who remembered his place, he trusted the Lord in the good times and in the hard times. There may be sin in our lives that we need to deal with that, that might be a reason for our suffering. And if so, we need to repent of that. Or it may be that there's mystery in our suffering. It's hard to know what's, what God's doing in our life as we go through a difficult time. And so we might need just to be patient and remember, again, uh, the character of God and his goodness and power to care for his people. So let's be among those who do that as we continue our journey through life, and particularly as we remember uh, God's love to us in Christ to help us uh, as we continue in this age and also as we look forward to that, that heavenly uh, promised land that he's leading us to in the future. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do uh, thank you that we can uh, see the psalmist cry out to you in times of difficulty and, and distress. And know that even though he, he may not be removed from hard situations, he can recall your character and your power in the past. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us as, as we look back and we can see your love to us in Christ and the power that you've worked in our lives to change our hearts and uh, make us among those people who trust in his good work to save us for our sins. Lord, if there's sin in our lives that we think of today that we've brought to mind, we pray that you'd help us to turn from that, help us to be those who walk closely with you, we thank you for days like today when we can encourage each other to uh, love and serve you. Lord, we thank you for 
your goodness, and we pray that you'd help us to persevere until we enjoy life with you face-to-face in the promised land, that, that heavenly promised land in the future. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.